and welcome to a new episode of PR360, and I'm your host, Brett Deister. And if you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. It really does help with the rankings. And leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. But this week, we're going to be talking to Stephen Chavez. And he is the president of Chavez PR. He's done work with a lot of multi-channel companies, including brands like Verizon. We've got Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America. We also got the National Institute of Health. And he brings a wealth of knowledge about multicultural PR. And it's a good thing to know because we're all about multiculturalism here specifically. So welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you. And my first question is, all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? <laughs> hmm, I, hmm, I play on both teams. Wink, wink. <laughs> but I think I, I definitely am. I prefer coffee. Lots of coffee. First thing in the morning. Lots, like 10? Like how? Three big cups. First thing in the morning. I to Before 9 a.m. I typically get up about 6. And so by 9 a.m. I'm on my third cup and ready to go. I cannot drink any kind of caffeine after the noon hour because I will not go to sleep that night. So that's where I turn into an herbal tea drinker in the evening to sort of start relaxing my mind. This field of PR, you're juggling different clients, and it's hard for me to turn off at night my mind. And and I'm already thinking about the next day and the activities that are happening. So tea helps me. So that's why I play on both teams. Nice. Hey, it's all about your preferences. So it's always good to play on both sides of the field because tea is just as good as coffee, depending on what you get. Right. What about you? You're a coffee drinker. Yes. I basically can drink coffee anytime during the day and I can still go to sleep. I don't know why. You can still go to sleep. Nice. But it doesn't affect me as badly as, well, you or other people that it's like, I got to cut it off at this time or I'm never going to sleep. Anyways, let's talk a little bit about your expertise. I gave a little quick intro, but can you actually give a better intro that I can give you about your expertise and your company? Sure. You know, again, I've been working in public relations for the last 25 years, helping clients connect with the Hispanic and multicultural communities through creative campaign planning, media relations, lots of community and philanthropic efforts. Again, connecting them, building up a relationship with multicultural audiences and sustaining that relationship with them. I started as a print journalist. So I graduated from the University of Laverne and went into, graduated with a journalism degree, went into print journalism, was a staff writer at the Los Angeles Times, and then had a midlife crisis in my late 20s. where I I transitioned into public relations, freaked out my parents because they had just put me four years through a private school to get a journalism degree. And after covering Buena Park and city of Westminster, city council and school board meetings, and I was just completely bored and not seeing, it wasn't the glamorous life that I thought my writing career would be. I realized I was just covering the police beat city beats and didn't seem like anything was going to change anytime soon. And I was antsy as a young adult and just fell in love with the world of PR. And I was right. 
when I got into PR, it was exactly what I wanted to do. The creativity, the networking, the ability to still work in the news industry, but shaping and molding what's going to actually be be written about or going to be seen on TV. Watching the morning news, I'd be like telling my my friends at the time, like, that's my story. I got that and create that story. And it was a different kind of adrenaline rush, pitching, landing the story, setting it all up. And so I felt like almost like a producer in a sense, where you're just getting everything coordinated and, and watching it come out the next morning and reading it in the newspaper or watching it that night um, on the television set. It, it just felt, I knew exactly where I was meant to be. All right. I hear a lot of journalist people in the journalism industry go to from journalism to PR, but it seems like you had a quarter life crisis. That's, that's a technical term. <laughs> so I think that happened around 2008 with the recession and the shrinking of the newsrooms. You were seeing more of that, but you're right. I think traditionally journalists have somewhat moved over, but when I did it back in the early nineties, I was ridiculed by my journalism peers. You're going to the dark side. Why are you going into PR? They, we were the devil. PR people were the devil. And I was going to hell because I was leaving journalism to go work for the devil, basically, in their minds. And so back then, it wasn't as common as you see today. But I think that happened out of necessity for a lot of journalists because newsrooms were shrinking, TV stations were cutting back with the recession and they needed to survive. And those skills were you know, transferable into public relations, the, the ability to write, the ability to pool resources and interview and package a story. All of those skills are things that we need in the PR industry. But I also feel like some of them struggled because they didn't have the background of public relations in terms of formulating strategies, the creative side of it. That was hard for me. So I'm glad I did it at an early age because I went to go work for the MSL group, which is a global PR firm. And their training programs were top notch. We had people coming, flying into LA from New York who were giving us training on client services, account financial management, media relations. And so what I didn't know coming from the journalism world, I quickly learned by being at an agency like that. Nice. And kind of segues into what does the current PR landscape look like to you? It's bold. It's exciting times, I think. We are looking at an industry that is struggling to diversify. I sit on the board of the Public Relations Society of America here in Los Angeles, where we are focused on how to address diverse audiences, how to recruit people of color into the organization, because unfortunately, it's still predominantly Anglo, and we're not quite sure why. I just had a meeting this morning with the diversity chair from St. Louis, and we were just sort of sharing best practices because she's trying to figure out how to create diversity programs for 
for them out in, in St. Louis and being also on the national board of the Hispanic Public Relations Association gives me another bird's eye view of the industry and seeing, again, the need for it to step up and to recognize the areas, the gaps, and not only with people of color, but also with women. Sure, the, I was on, on a clubhouse conversation this past Tuesday with women leaders in public relations. And I thought it was fascinating to hear, and I kind of knew it already, but it was fascinating to hear from them, their perspective of how, even though the industry, the, the world of public relations is dominated by women, the top level positions are still white men. So 80% of the agency leaders are white men. And then the pay gap. There was a study that one of the speakers shared. I don't have the organization that did the study, but I remember it was something about, on average, the PR practitioner, uh, male versus female, male was, would make 61000 the female like 54000 a year. So even though it's a woman-dominated industry, there's still the gap there. And so I think the, the landscape is promising. I think people are recognizing that the need to continue to work on diversifying the industry, as well as learning new skills. I think with COVID, it really hit us hard in the sense of many of my colleagues who do events, live events, were impacted and brands were looking for new ways to connect with consumers in relevant ways that no longer in-person events were offering. And so it forced us as PR practitioners to rethink our communication strategies and it forced us to become better storytellers, I think, because people are going to podcasts, people are going to social media, they were going to more video. People are sitting at home wanting information and, and news, but it was just looking a little different. And so we had to step up our game, I think, and, and learn new skills. Mm -hmm. And with all that, is, has there actually been a dramatic shift in PR since 2020 and, well, what year 2020 actually brought us, which was quite a year, by the way? Yeah, companies, again, had to quickly scramble to adjust to 100% online engagement. Gone were the days of press junkets and in-person media events. Video has always been king, but I saw my clients spending more dollars to create video and graphic content for internal and external communication efforts. They realized they had in a whole, they had to focus a little bit more on their internal audiences as well. And so that included bringing us in as an agency to help them with that. And it was my videographer vendors had a great year. My graphic designer vendors had a great year in 2020. They were busier than ever because we needed content that we could push out. So I think there was a, a huge dramatic shift in PR since 2020 when, that, when it comes to that. Gotcha. And so... Will this carry on into 2021 where it will be 
somewhat a little bit physical eventually probably more towards the end of 2021 and then are we still going to see a bigger shift into live streaming podcast clubhouse and all that other stuff yes we are definitely going to see a continuation of live streaming social media live kind of facebook instagram live more TikTok videos are going to be produced. Video and graphic content will continue to be king in terms of delivering key messages for our clients, for sure. Gotcha. And when we're talking about like multicultural communities, what do PR pros actually miss when trying to reach them? It seems like, I mean, we're all trying to be Jack or Jill of all trades here, but there are some things we may actually miss when it comes to different types of strategies especially when you're just trying to get a handle on one type of strategy. (laughs) I think looking back over my career in the multicultural PR world, the biggest thing for me was being brought to the table from the beginning of the planning stages. What I think PR pros miss when reaching multicultural communities is that they're not inviting or thinking about multicultural at the very beginning of the planning process. Oftentimes, PR teams will create a whole campaign, sort of integrated marketing campaign with all the bells and whistles, and then go to their multicultural team or that person they have on staff and say, here's our campaign. Can you make it work for the multicultural community? And oftentimes, that was me working for a large national or international agency, being given that. They would send me the deck, the PowerPoint deck, a day or two days before they were actually going to present to the client. They had been already working on it for um, several weeks. Now I'm supposed to come up with a slide or two on strategies to reach Hispanic or, or Black or other diverse communities, whether it be the LGBTQ plus community, et cetera. And I was like, this doesn't work. The campaign you came up, even the, the slogan, the tagline does not translate. The teams that have been most successful is when they bring me on board day one. So that way I am already sort of putting my lens and, and my perspective and my voice into the campaign and we're building it out with multicultural from the get go. And so it makes sense. Then there's relevancy for the communities that we're trying to target. That's a huge one for me. I think PR pros also underestimate the strength, both from the financial and marketing standpoint of multicultural segments. There are still some common stereotypes that they have on certain audiences that just don't ring true anymore. Again, I specialize in Hispanic world. And so the lack of understanding of the different acculturation levels of Latinos, from foreign born to someone like myself, who's third, fourth generation, and whether or not they understand the diversity within the Hispanic marketplace, because we're all not Mexican. There's Cubans and Puerto Ricans, and everyone's coming from different countries and coming with a different cultural nuance. Sure, we we share the the Spanish language as a common thread, but I've had teams from 
Chicago come to me and say, we want to do a Cinco de Mayo campaign. We brought on Chef Ingrid Hoffman and we're going to be in Miami and we're going to have a piñata. And I'm like, well, Ingrid Hoffman is Colombian. Cinco de Mayo is a very Mexican Battle of Puebla. Why is she talking about the Battle of Puebla in Mexico, a whole other country? It's like getting someone from France to talk about something that happened in Turkey. It's a different country. Why aren't you finding a Mexican chef? So, it's, But they've already built that agreement with Chef Ingrid Hoffman. They've, they've already gone into the plan. And then I'm like, you know, Miami is mostly Cuban and piñatas is a very Mexican. And so just the, the lack of understanding, the lack of knowledge, the education that is still needed. I talk about still having to today in 2021, having to do the Hispanic 101 dog and pony show with a lot of PR teams. It's a little frustrating because I feel like, oh my God, we're, we're still having to do this. But at the same time, I appreciate those agencies that recognize my teams need this education and knowledge in order to be better at what we do. So I'm more than happy to do that. So one of the common mistakes to avoid is to actually research and understand what states have what. The audience. Basically, because... Yeah, that's a pretty bad mistake for Florida because Florida is traditionally more Cuban than anything else. Right. Yes. And then very Latin America, um, you know, people from Venezuela, from Colombia are, are mostly in, in, in Florida. So, um, yeah, just avoid, avoid thinking stereotypically about different audiences. Take the time. And unfortunately for agencies, is taking the time and putting money behind the research to get the data and information you need to reach these segments, these different segments. And that's what's, that's what's missing is that agencies are not putting the dollars behind it and want a quick fix, but they want to, they do somehow want to demonstrate to their client or the client is asking for it nowadays because the client is being held accountable to make sure that they're reaching diverse audiences. And so they're going to their general market agencies say, okay, we want you to do this program. We're launching this new product, but we also want you to reach black and, and um, Latino audiences. And that general market agency is going, oh, okay. Well, we have Steven Chavez here. He could help us here, but they're not giving me the, the monies to be able to do a focus group and or the research to hire a, a think tank who can dive into that audience segment and, and pull out those insights that we need to create a campaign that's gonna, again, be relevant culturally and will be impactful and meaningful for the audience. So it's the voice of the customer component that's missing so far, plus the money, obviously, because it goes hand in hand. Money, voice of customer, lack of planning. So for just doing multicultural messaging, is it, going to be big this year and next year is more PR agencies starting to figure out that when you start your strategy, you should start in a let's do different types of communities within whatever state or country we're actually doing. And let's figure out that part out, or are they still missing that component to it? I believe diversity inclusion is here to stay for 2021 and beyond. From an industry perspective, I sit on the national committee with PRSA, 
the diversity committee for PRSA, and we just had a meeting bringing together all the diversity chairs from the different PRSA chapters. That's a first step. That has never happened before. Where now we are sharing best practices from chapter to chapter, understanding that we need to do better in terms of recruitment. Again, I was talking with someone this morning from St. Louis, and she was saying how her board doesn't understand that they need to start earlier in terms of recruitment, a diverse PR practitioners, like they need to go into the colleges and they need to create programs that are going to attract people of color into PRSA. I think it's the same way with for companies. Companies who are looking to hire, they need to spend more time reaching potential candidates where they are at. And so doing the traditional let's say, I don't know, Indeed or LinkedIn or Monster may not be enough to reach people of color and diverse practitioners. Maybe you need to identify organizations like the Black Public Relations Society. Maybe it's reaching out to the Hispanic PR Association. Both those organizations have job boards, but are organizations, companies doing any kind of outreach with them? What are they doing to support their scholarship programs that are helping to support students who are seeking a degree in communications and they happen to be Latino, they happen to be Asian or Black? Are these companies supporting those scholarship programs? Are they feeding the pipeline? And I think that's the opportunity for companies and for agencies and organizations like PRSA is to rethink diversity, that it's not just one day out of the year. I know for me and the PR Society of America in LA, we are now doing a monthly clubhouse conversation. Every last Tuesday of the month, we are going to be doing a clubhouse topic around diversity. And that was a big step for the chapter to be able to say, yes, we're going to give you that time. The idea to recognize diversity all 12 months versus just during Hispanic Heritage Month was a big step for the organization. So I think when you ask me the question, do you think multicultural is going to be big this year? Yes. And it's going to be bigger as we continue to grow. Mm -hmm. And what have you seen with the effect what has been effective strategies with multicultural communities? Has it been those clubhouses every month? Has it been trying to do more podcasts or something in that way to actually reach them more often to where they're at? Has it been to rethink strategies that have been old and maybe need a little retuning? What has it been? A combination of everything in terms of the effective strategies when talking to multicultural communities Again, there is a maybe some stereotypes or some old thinking that people of color are not online or not engaging on in podcasts. They're they're not on Clubhouse. When if you go onto these different platforms, Instagram, TikTok, a lot of the contents that's being generated that's going viral is content that that's coming from diverse communities, people of color, and so. We forget that cultural trends oftentimes are started by communities of color, right? Whether it be fashion trends, whether it be food trends. I remember when I, I worked on the McDonald's account 
for about eight years overseeing their national Hispanic media relations. And there was a time when a restaurant owner, a franchise owner in El Paso started serving jalapenos in their store just because they knew the customer wanted them. Well, the corporation was going freaking out, like, you cannot serve jalapenos in our store and in, in a McDonald's restaurant. We don't serve jalapenos. And it was just this franchise owner on his own doing that. Well, years later, now we, you can go through the McDonald's drive-thru and what can you order? A burrito, right? You're just seeing how culture is blending and leading and trends and, and when it comes to fashion, music, entertainment, food, etc. And so I think the American public is open and hungry for these new flavors. They're open to, to being a little more experiential around that. And so podcasts, online influencers, bloggers, all of those that we would do in the general market, it's happening in our communities as well. All right. So basically make sure that your influencers and other media collateral is up to date and make sure it's yeah it's preferable or it, it hits the market that you're trying to hit. Exactly. So again, as you're building out your campaigns and you are putting together an influencer online influencer campaign, are you including in there Latino and Black and Asian American influencers, LGBTQ influencers into your, your target media list? Are you hiring them? Are you putting budget aside to be able to pay for them to engage? Gotcha. And so it almost seems like basically every company or PR agency should be increasing their budgets in that way to encapsulate just influencers in general, but encapsulate all influencers in general is what I'm hearing. It could either be in increasing the budget or carving the budget out a little differently. Okay. So if you've got a, a $350,000 PR budget, I'm not asking you to put, you know, add another $100,000 to it. Make sure that if that's your budget, you are allocating monies that is going to go toward reaching multicultural audiences. So hiring podcasters and or bloggers that are going to reach those audiences. People get scared that, oh, I can't afford it. And it really should be part of their existing budget and their existing efforts. Mm -hmm. Forecasting and voice of the customer always seems to be a theme coming up with multicultural communities. Mm -hmm. So fun question for you. If you could create any PR strategy, what would you create? Oh, wow. If I could create a fun new PR strategy. That's a tough one. Recently, I was involved in a new business pitch where I recommended a press conference in the sky where we were flying reporters and bloggers to a destination, but the actual event was happening in flight. I thought that was kind of fun and, and interesting, but it may have already been done. I don't know. I have not seen that before, but I thought that was fun. Hey, I mean, if no one knows about it, it is new. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts for our listeners? Just remember that flash in the pan efforts to reach multicultural audiences do not work. We as a community see it. We become turned off by it. So the idea of for one program, you're going to do something for 
uh, a community of color, and then the other programs, you have nothing that is outlined for them or reaching them. As a consumer, I see that. I go to your website. I go to your Twitter feed. I go to your Facebook pages and Instagram pages. I will immediately see through you and see that you're just just doing tokenism kind of efforts. So flash in the pan efforts don't work. Consistency is key. Making sure that across the board, you're looking at and developing campaigns that are reaching multicultural communities. And we talked about it before, budget. Carving out budget to do it right. So again, unfortunately for many organizations, they will leave it to the very end to say, well, we need to do something now for Latinos, the Hispanic community. And the general market budget is half a million dollars. And the Hispanic outreach budget is like 50,000. Can you do something for us? Can you write a press release? Can you put it in Spanish? And it's like, that's not going to be impactful. Your messages are going to not penetrate this audience because you're not putting the, the effort nor the money needed to spend on it. So those are my final thoughts. All right. Good final thoughts for our listeners. Thank you, Stephen, for joining PR360. Thank you. What a great time. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings and let us know how we're doing. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Get a voice of the customer for multicultural communities. Rethink your strategy if you need to and see you next week. Later.